coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bomb. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. This is Sean Sparkman, your host, and I'm very excited to be bringing to you today a California native, born and raised. His name is Ashok Ramji, and he is a certified financial planner, certified financial consultant, chartered life underwriter, member of Ed Slot's IRA advisor group, and a certified annuity specialist. I know that is a large mouthful of things, but Ashok, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and who you are? Great. Well, first of all, it's a delight to be on your show today, Sean. I would say that my story in general is that when I got out of college, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go in life. And I always had an interest in economics. I was interested in finance. I was at UCLA. I went to a career center and there was a job advertisement posted for a company which is now defunct, uh, Bear Stearns. I worked there well before the blow up in 2008. Uh, But that's what really got me thinking this is where things would come together. My interest in economics, my interest in finance, the stock market. And so I spent most of my life uh, in in the investment planning world. A good chunk of it was spent on what we call the sell side brokerage firms where we would work with mom and pops as clients. Then I switched over to the buy side where those same brokers would be calling us up, but we were institutional buyers of lots of shares. We managed a portfolio for those clients. So my background has been primarily in the investment planning space A few years ago, I got thrown a curveball where in 2016, two events happened. Number one, our firm closed its doors. The buy side firm closed its doors. About six months later, my mom passed away unexpectedly. So I was already contemplating a life change. And I was already starting to think, having been in the investment planning space for a long time, I kept thinking, isn't there another way to approach this for retirement instead of the huge ups and huge downs? Might there be another way? I started looking at insurance planning. And then when I saw how insurance planning actually functions, especially in estate planning, I got really interested. And so I wrapped up with my siblings. We wrapped up our mother's estate and I committed myself to becoming one of the tops in my field for insurance planning. That's still a work in process, but in a very short period of time, I picked up some of the accreditations that you were talking about. I know some people have referred to these things as plaques on a wall. My own philosophy is, is that by being exposed to these concepts, it's made me a better person so I can sit down with clients and when they're talking about certain things, I can pick up on you know, what's most relevant to their situation and hopefully add value to their lives. So you mentioned that you went through the estate planning process and then of course the distribution of the estate for your mother. And I know this is a personal question, but 
Yeah. During that process, what triggered you to decide to look more into the insurance side of the business? Well, I think it was in, in our mom's case, she didn't have life insurance. But when I was looking at estate planning, I started, you know, at the time, I didn't know what exactly a trust was or even what an estate sale was. And I would, you know, look on Amazon and try to find books on the topic, explain this to me like I'm a four-year-old kind of thing. But I started seeing the relevance like, wow, I was already interested in life insurance specifically because of the retirement insurance concepts. And then when I saw this same subject from a different viewpoint from the estate planning concept, and this was really in my readings to understand more and more about estate planning, I said, wait a minute, here's another way of looking at life insurance. I started to get very interested. And it wasn't, again, for my mom's own situation. It was because my mother was, uh, you know, just right before the baby boomers. Uh, she was born in 1940. So I said, if estate planning and life insurance work so synergistically here, imagine this huge, long runway where, you know, for the next, I think the baby boomers go on from 1946 to 1964. I could just see how there could be some applications to help people in their planning since these things work so well together. And one thing I, I think is interesting, and I want to ask you this question, is in 2016 when you were going through this, how long had you been in the financial industry at that point? Uh, 20 years. So 20 years, and you were looking for books on Amazon to teach you, like you said, like a four-year-old about estate planning, right? Correct, because my primary focus from when I left UCLA, went to Bear Stearns, went to go work for the asset management company, had always been on one vector, which was investment planning. And so that's really all I knew. And I am naturally inquisitive. I would learn things, but it was always like, oh, let's learn about you know, value investing. Let's learn about growth investing. But you're sort of only on one trajectory. And so even though I had been in the financial services space, I, like I think many other people in the field, really only focused not so much on breadth as much as depth. And later on, I realized, wow, there's a whole different era or area of finance here that I'm really not familiar with. Yeah, so you were specialized and it's something that I talk about a lot and, you know, in the circle in the insurance world that we talk about is specialization. Just like when you go see your doctor and you go see your primary care, if you've got a knee problem, your primary care physician's not going to do surgery on your knee, right? Or you don't want them to. Correct. You want to go see the orthopedic that is specialized in that one thing, the specialist that's going to fix your knee the right way. And I find it very interesting, and I, and I really love that you brought that point up because it, it is important to make sure that you're getting that correct specialized knowledge because nobody can know it all. Yeah, and I think there's another aspect of it is that if you had asked me in 2016, what do you think of insurance planning? I like to think I would have said, you know, I just don't know enough about this. You really should speak with someone who's knowledgeable in that field. I think it would be far from me to say, well, there's no need for it. And you hear now all of some of these ad hominem attacks against the insurance planning space from the investment planning world. And I'm sensitive to it because I was there. 
And when you take a step back, you realize that these things serve different, they may serve, serve the same purpose, but they have different functions. They work differently. So it's kind of like apples and oranges. So if you go see that specialist, that specialist shouldn't really poo-poo another field because that person is really only specializing in that field. Right. And you recently wrote an article that was published on annuity.com. Can you tell us a little bit about the article and why you wrote it? Well, this was my very first article after having received the CFP designation, the CFP certification from the uh, Certified Financial Planning Board. Real, real quick, just for the people that don't know, because we get wrapped up in you know terminology, what's a CFP? Yeah, so the CFP stands for Certified Financial Planner. I would say it's the gold standard in the financial planning industry. Uh, when you talk about financial planning, there are six areas that are covered for the CFP exam, and that's Certified Financial Planner practitioners really focus on. Those six areas are, number one, general concepts in financial planning. That might be things like budgeting. Number two is investment planning. Number three is insurance planning. Number four is tax planning. Number five is retirement planning. And retirement planning really focuses deeply on things like if you have a 401k at your place of employment, how much can you defer in your salary? How much can you contribute if you have a pension? So when I talk about retirement planning, it's really a deep dive on what we call defined contribution or defined benefit plans. The sixth era, uh, area of planning is estate planning. And even once you go through the CFP certification process, in order to stay on the cutting edge of your field, there's just too much for one person to know. So it's very common for someone to say, I'm gonna only specialize in this area of planning or that area of planning because it's nearly impossible to stay on top of it all. So planning, think of it as a, a big umbrella which encompasses a lot of different specializations. Okay, thank you. Now let's switch back to the article and just tell us a little bit about why you wrote it. Correct, so from a CFP certificates point of view, I wanted to just talk a little bit about how, you know, in today's day and age, you know, in 2019, the market indices in the U.S. and probably worldwide did quite well. And there was an interesting article that I'd come across in Bloomberg where one of the op-eds said, you know, for all intents and purposes, a lot of retail investors aren't really that focused on the market's performance. And in fact, equity fund outflows are at highs not seen since 1992. So even though the markets are going up and to the right, so are the fund outflows. And that's because for the most part, there is a greater focus on asset preservation and probably asset distribution as opposed to just straight accumulation. And that's a function of the fact that the, uh, the baby boomers are getting older and people have probably you know, they're feeling like the cat on the hot stove. We may have seen something like this run up in the market in prior cycles. What goes up goes down. So a lot of people are really focusing on asset preservation. And it seemed like from the article, the ultimate preference was to use a 60-40 equity bond portfolio. And in the bond portfolio, my thought was, 
hopefully many of these consumers are being presented alternatives. Bonds can work quite well in a portfolio, but an alternative to that fixed income side of the equation would be to use fixed annuities. And I think it's incumbent on someone developing a plan to say, here's this way of doing it, here's another way of doing it, let me present the pros and cons of both and be fair. Sometimes I think there could be a slant one way or the other, and that's okay as long as the consumer knows this person's preference is for X or this person's preference is for Y, but we need to elevate the discussion and show people there is an X and a Y. Why is it important to consider all your options and work with somebody who is non-biased when it comes to retirement planning? I think there's a saying that what you don't know can hurt you. And I don't know if, you know, even as a CFP certificate, I have a bias. I like working with annuities. Even though my background of over 20 years, I worked with bonds. In fact, I was with the group at Bear Stearns where we worked with institutions on bonds. So I've worked with them. I understand them. Uh, But I just think that in today's uh, marketplace, where interest rates are, it makes sense to at least consider something that can provide income and not lose principal because of any market movements. But again, I have a bias. And I think that sometimes people think, well, you know, my professional might have these designations and they're not biased. And I think that's far from the truth. We all are human beings. We all have biases, even with the letters after our names. So like, for example, sorry, for example, I just saw an article on MarketWatch, and this was dated December 27th. And there is someone else who has the same certification as me. And they actually made a comment that uh, annuities might be illegal or something like that. And uh, Cheryl Moore, who follows annuities quite well, she said they can't be illegal because of you know, the highly regulated nature of this industry. But that comment showed a bias by someone who's, you know, uh, kind of a higher up who's exposed to these ideas. So I think where I'm trying to go with it is it's okay if we have biases as long as we disclose them and give consumers the alternatives. And we can say, you know what, we feel like this is a better way to go, but at least give consumers the alternatives. Let them know that there is an X and a Y. Great. And I really appreciate your answer to that because that's exactly how I do business. And I know that's how you do business. And a lot of people in our industry do it that way, but there are some that don't, whether it's insurance or on the investment side. And the important part is always understanding everything that's available to you, no matter what, and working with somebody that you ultimately trust. And one of the themes that is on my show and in my life is about relationships, period, because I believe that whether it's a relationship with your wife or your kids or your friends or your coworkers, or in this case, your clients, or just the random person you meet on the street, it's very important. And I believe that it's the ultimate success in life is to have great relationships. And I don't know where you land on that part, but what do you think? Oh, I completely agree with you. I think that if it came down to it, the product is the absolute last thing that we focus on. First, we have to figure out what is the purpose. My business is called Top Planning, and it stands for Top as an acronym for Think on Purpose. Human beings have a purpose. And so we need to have those relationships with human beings. And if we can figure out what is the innate purpose that 
you know, someone is trying to accomplish, what do they want, what are their aspirations, then we can figure out the inanimate object of the product afterwards, but relationships first. And that's what I think people are so hungry for in this day and age. They've seen uh, bad things happen in the insurance planning space. They've seen bad things happen in the investment planning space. And I think there's a sense of vulnerability out there, you know, like the Bernie Madoffs of this world are doing. So I think it's highly important that we have those relationships and we also keep improving ourselves as practitioners in the field to make sure we're serving those relationships. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's funny that you mentioned Bernie Madoff because there's this term that gets thrown around in the financial world, which is a fiduciary, right? And guess who's the most famous financial fiduciary of all time? Exactly. Bernie Madoff. So it, it all comes down to your one-on-one -on -one relationship like you're talking about. And I see it every single day, and I'm sure you do. There, there's a ton of fear that's out there. And it, it's exasperated by the amount of information and technology that we see every single day. And it's funny because my generation and the generations that's coming after us are completely inundated with technology, right? My, my son is a year old. And since the day he's been born, there's been a cell phone around. I try to keep it away from him as much as possible, but it's impossible to keep it completely away, right? And so oh, yeah. that, that information overload is something that is causing people to not understand the nature of relationships anymore. And I think it's causing, I've seen it, where people want it. They, they want it more than ever, a real, actual person. They don't want to talk to a robot. They don't want to talk to somebody in India. They want to talk to a real red-blooded person that's right there in front of them so that they can have that connection that you could only get by looking somebody else in the eye. You know, I got to share a funny story with you. I was just visiting with a client a couple of days ago, and when I reached out to this client back in September of 2019, I was at a conference for Ed Slot's Elite Ira Advisor Group, and I couldn't find a quiet place in the hotel. There was a lot of chatter going on. Well, I reach out to this gentleman, and he asked me, he says, you know, given my name, he says, are you calling me from India? And I said, no, I'm actually calling you from Dallas, Texas. Uh, but uh, when I sat down with him, on several occasions, you know, at one point he looked at me and he says, you're acting in my best interest, aren't you? And, you know, I could tell him, yes, because here is the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. Here is the plan of what you're trying to accomplish. And finally, here's the product. But the product only comes after the purpose and the plan. So I think that we, we have to have a framework. We have this business is a relationship business. It's so important. Now, on a personal side, and you can use business or personal life, I, just out of curiosity, what do you view as your greatest success in life? Well, I'd say my greatest success probably would be my the education that I have worked hard at. I'm kind of a nerd, so I look at some of these uh, accreditations. But I actually, it's funny. Now I don't really look at these accreditations from the someone looking from the outside. I look at them as giving me the exposure now to serve clients in greater and greater ways and to, to connect them with other individuals who are more seasoned practitioners. So I'm thoroughly enjoying the way my business is going right now because it's so relationship driven and because I can, to your point, you know, I was just reading a statistic. The ATM is 50 years old. In 2019, the ATM was 50 years old. And yet if you go to a bank, you still see tellers. When I was going to school at UCLA, I made a little bit of money on the side as a teller at a bank. And I thought it was kind of interesting that even though the ATM came about, it didn't completely displace tellers as human beings because we still crave 
human being relationships. So I'd say my greatest success is to have elevated my own knowledge so that I can hopefully serve mankind at a greater level. So one of the other things that I have as a theme on the show that I talk about in every single episode, and it's very important to me, is failure. And I talk about failure because I believe that most people try to brush it under the rug or put some flour on it or say, oh, you're, it's okay, or whatever it may be, right? They don't want to fully experience it and accept it. And I believe that failure is the thing that makes us into better people overall. That and the relationships with strong people around us to help us work through failure and learn from it. So I agree. With you, I want to ask you the same question I ask every guest. What is something that you failed at? And it doesn't have to be limited to business. It's whatever you're willing to share. Yeah, I'd say, you know, just sticking to the business theme, my biggest failure would be that I probably stay sometimes in a comfort zone for a little bit too long. I was an employee for over 20 years, which isn't a bad thing, but I had an entrepreneurial spirit. And so I was, I kind of look back sometimes and I think, wow, if I was only 10 years younger, you know, could I have been doing this a lot longer? And that's one of the, my biggest frustrations is we only have so much time on this planet. So sometimes when you have some knowledge and it changes your way of thinking and your way of being, you kind of think, wow, what if I had known this, say, a decade earlier? So I think sometimes having been in a comfort zone for too long in the investment planning space only, I look at that with some regret. But I think that it's also helped shape me as who I am today. And I would completely agree with your theme. Great. Thank you very much for sharing. And you did choose to focus on retirement insurance and retirement planning, even though you had 20 years in the financial sector. So what made you do that flip? Was it because of what happened with your mother during her her, uh, estate planning or what was it? Yeah, I think it was even a little bit before, say before we closed our doors in the investment planning space, we had some up years, some very strong up years, and we had some very strong down years. And I started thinking, isn't there a way for someone to have more of a steady eddy? And I think there's some, if you look at it mathematically, I mean, if you take three numbers and one of them is negative and you average them, you might get the same average as three numbers that are positive but lower. And I think from a mathematical point of view, what if you had a series of numbers where it never went negative? You might have some zeros sometimes. But I think that at the end of the day, it's just when you're getting closer to retirement, you can't afford any margin of error. And so I thought that When you're younger, you can afford to make those mistakes. In the investment planning space, we had high net worth investors that could stomach that type of volatility, but there are a lot of other investors who may not be what we call high net worth investors, and the SEC has certain definitions for what those constitute. But if someone has a nest egg and they don't feel like losing it all, you know, there's a saying, how do you end up with a small fortune in the stock market? Start with a big fortune. Those people (laughs) should probably consider having retirement insurance because you can't get back your time. The very thing I was ruining earlier, like, oh, I wish I had more time. You know, if you're in retirement and you make mistakes, you can't get that time back. So I think there's definitely a place for insurance planning. And that harkens back to why I don't look at, Sean, I don't look at investment planning and insurance planning as mutually exclusive. They can actually both be important parts of a plan. And so you just have to know that, yes, one gives you maybe a greater chance for accumulation, but there's a greater chance of loss. The other one would, you know, be more of a steady eddy and they can work together quite synergistically. Yeah, and it's all part of diversification at the end of the day, right? 
Yes, and I think that you know, in in for example, in the investment planning space, just to show you how you know my company, I have a slightly different approach where we actually use investment planning as a nice you know it's a complement in the retirement income planning space. So you can actually use, and I'll just, the strategy is something that's almost probably as old as annuities as well, would be dividends. So if you actually have something that has the ability to go up as companies declare dividends and they raise those dividends, and you couple that with say the insurance planning space, you can have a very nice retirement planning strategy that helps deal with you know good and bad times. Right. And one part that I think we all neglect a little bit to speak about that is very, very important is the emotional and mental aspect of having money that is protected and that you know is going to be there no matter what, while also still, of course, having the ability to grow. Because that stress, like I spoke with a, a client just a few weeks ago, and he was telling me that the reason he wanted to sit down was because he was watching his father through the, who was you know, in his late 70s, early 80s, and he was watching him through the largest, longest bull market in history, you know, right now, last decade. And during that time, he has not been able to get the returns that he needed to live the lifestyle that he wanted. And all of his money is 100% in the market, aside from an emergency fund. And the part that really struck the guy I was speaking with was his father's stress level. He said it's every single day and it has been ever since he retired. Every day he's checking the market. Every day he's worrying. Every day he's calling him. And he said that he didn't want to go through that. And that's why he wanted to meet with me in the first place was to make sure that he could lock in a portion of his portfolio and know that it was going to be there for his income during retirement. That is so important. I'd say what you're really showing is where you can preserve your money and distribute those monies. This is a very sound strategy. And I think he, it's so good that you were able to talk with him and show him some of these alternatives. Yeah, and I think the part that is very important and that I'm trying to get across is the, the taking away of the emotions and the stress, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. There is no need sometimes. If, if someone is feeling like, this is the only way I can do it, that in and of itself is going to create stress. Imagine if you feel like there was only one path to get to your destination. And if you failed on that path, you would probably be very stressed. But if you felt like, okay, here's a plan B. I might make you know, slower progress. But I mean, if you think about the story of the tortoise and the hare, who ultimately won? So sometimes we need to just if we're presented alternatives and we're shown there's a different way of doing something, that in and of itself relieves the stress, plus the strategy that you're talking about eliminates the chance from market loss. So I think that people absolutely need to know where we are at this juncture in time that this strategy exists and that a lot of people are using it, especially in today's day and age. And can you talk a little bit about the difference between a fee-based planner and a fee-only planner? That's a good question. And this is actually something that has been creating quite a lot of discussion, especially in the, 
the 2010s, the decade we just wrapped up. Uh, but a fee-based planner is what I am. And that means that I earn my money in part from things like commissions. And I also earn my money from a percentage of assets under management because I'm an investment advisor representative as well. But if I was a fee-only planner, I could not have any of those streams of income. And when people would come to me, I would devise a plan for them, but I would say, you need to have somebody else execute this. I am only compensated by the plans that I develop. In my opinion, I like the fee-based planner concept better because it works quite well with my existing practices business model. I work very closely with insurance companies and on the investment planning side, and I spend nights pouring over you know, how the different designs work. I know it inside and out. I don't want to have that detached third party, you know, thing like, oh, well, go find somebody else to do this. So I think if anything, being a fee-based planner, I take on a lot more risk because I work with clients and I don't charge them anything for the plan. I'll say, here's a plan that will get you from point A to point B, here are the alternatives that were considered. The CFP board has a new code of ethics and standards of conduct that's coming into effect. It's already in effect, but it's going to be mandatory starting June of 2020, where we disclose everything. And I just love that I can say to somebody, look, there is a conflict of interest in that I am compensated in part by, say, an insurance company. But if we can get over that hump and you can see why this is in your best interest, then I think you know, it's it's a totally fine business model. And if at the end of the day, that client says, I don't want to implement this plan, I don't want to do business with you. Well, they got an idea for free. We might call that sometimes unpaid consulting. That's okay. That comes with the territory. But at least we shared our knowledge for free and didn't charge. And I think I have more skin in the game to make sure that that plan you know, goes through. And then when it comes to a plan, there's something called the implementation and the monitoring of the plan. I offer my clients steady monitoring of that plan where we meet once a year, if not more frequently, to make sure that that income plan is on track. So that's kind of the big picture. A fee-based planner is compensated elsewhere, whereas a fee-only planner is only compensated by the, the plans that they develop. And importantly, they can't have someone in their office making commissions. If that's the case, then they're now a fee-based planner. Even if they themselves only get compensated by drawing up that plan, you can't have kind of a other person in the office that's now you know, getting those commissions. So I'm proud to say I'm I'm a fee-based planner. And as a fee-based planner, you use fixed indexed annuities as part of your retirement planning process. Why do you do that? Well, I think that from a broad brushstroke, we could think of a tree. I have a colleague named Paul Durso who came up with the tree as an analogy as it pertains to different types of investments. If you think of a tree in nature, there are roots below the ground and then what we can see is anything above the ground. Here, anything below the ground has some element of protection, be it from a bank, a government, or an insurance company. When we take a step back and try to figure out what percentage of that portfolio should be in safe money that cannot be lost for market risk, 
we can look at treasury obligations that are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. We can be looking at bank CDs, which uniquely have backing within limits thanks to the FDIC. We can also be looking at products from insurance companies based on the claims paying ability and the strength of the insurance company. So broadly speaking, those are the three forms of protection that we can offer clients. We can also show them above ground investments that also have risk but do not have protection of any kind to hopefully get them where they need to be. So again, if I'm looking below ground for something that is protected, in today's day and age, what am I going to offer clients that gives them the ability to safeguard their money, generate income, provide as legacy if there's still money left in the account, the insurance company doesn't keep the money, where the front end fees can sometimes be little to none versus an asset under management fee for a bond portfolio. That's why it goes back to that original article. You've got to have an alternative. Fixed indexed annuities to me make a lot of sense, and I'm happy to offer them to my clients and show them where they belong as part of a diversified plan. So you mentioned the strength and claims paying ability of the insurance company. And the reason I, I bring that up is sometimes there's a little bit of fear that people have of, you know, putting all their money in one place, even though it may not be all their money. It's, you know, it's going to be a decent chunk of their portfolio in order to get the guarantees that they need for their guaranteed income. So how well can they rely on the strength and claims paying ability of the insurance companies? That's where people have to have their own degree of comfort. Have there been instances where insurance companies in this industry have gotten in trouble? Yes. But I'd also say that this industry, what I've been impressed with is how the regulation seems to be an upward virtuous cycle where the there's a insurance commissioner in each of the 50 states. Then these insurance commissioners get together through a group called the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, and they're constantly Im improving on the industry to learn from past mistakes and make sure that there are regulatory safeguards that can be put into place that have best practices. You know, many of these insurance carriers have to keep a certain amount in reserves. That's called the legal reserve system. There's just a lot of thinking and a lot of systems that have been put into place to help that consumer get some comfort with the claims paying ability of the insurance company. Can I take a step back and say it's an absolute no, because things can happen, but these companies are, you know, especially if you find a company that has a strong AM best rating, you have other rating agencies that are looking at these carriers. It's a competitive market. So I think that this competition brings out the best among these carriers, and they know they need to take a long-term perspective. If you look at the history of insurance carriers, they have weathered the storms of bad times and good. And if you find a carrier with a good credit rating, if it's been around through a long cycle, I think to me, I feel like for a portion of someone's money, that's probably a good strategy. And I wanna start wrapping things up just a little bit here. And I always ask this question because it's just a fun one that I think people get a lot of value out of. Moving forward in your practice and just in life in general, what are you curious about? I'd say I'm curious about if more people start really thinking about, you know, preservation of capital. I was talking with someone, I used to have a radio program, a listener said, you know, you started talking about legacy and you really broke down legacy beyond just, you know, what are you leaving behind? I think there's 
just a greater thoughtfulness. I'm heartened when I see articles like the Bloomberg op-ed where they said that even though the markets were just going on a tear because of easy money conditions, a lot of people are being more thoughtful these days. And I'm curious about whether, you know, we're starting a new decade right now. Will this thinking hopefully, you know, among the buying public, will they be in a better place than times past. I mean, we know that crises, crises go. So it's likely that sometime over the next few years, we might see uh, some sort of crisis. But when we see the behavior among the buying public, that they're thoughtful and saying, what can we do to preserve our assets? Maybe in the next downturn, fewer people are going to be hurt and we don't see these 401ks become 201ks. I'm curious to see how this will ultimately pan out. And I'm curious, you mentioned a different way of breaking down legacy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when people think like legacy, like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, it's whatever I have left. But sometimes people might be thinking, well, when like we talk about what is the purpose of money, income is something that you absolutely need an abundance of while you're living. So that way you can leave something behind. But I think I'm seeing a greater thoughtfulness where people say, how can we enjoy our lifestyle? How can we prepare for the worst, still have enough, you know, we can methodically plan, but at the same time, how do we make sure that we also leave something behind for that next generation? And we might be able to use, this is where insurance planning really comes in. It really shines because you can say, you can have your cake and eat it too. I'm seeing a greater thoughtfulness by some of my clients where they say, you know, I don't want you know, little Johnny to get a big slug of money when I pass away. So are there ways to protect against that? We're sitting right now as this show is being recorded. The SECURE Act is the new law of the land. The whole concept of the stretch IRA, where someone who was an IRA beneficiary could take distributions over their lifetime, that's no longer possible. You now have a 10-year window of time and at which time by the end of the 10th year, the assets have to be distributed in full. That's going to kind of change a lot of planning that's going on. And I think a lot of people who have, you know, a decent amount of assets now, they're trying to figure out how do we make sure we prepare the next generation, but we also don't give them too much of a leg up. So legacy planning is becoming more and more multifaceted. And it, too, is having the emotions. It's not just living today that's having the emotions. It's how do we leave something behind without feeling like we're controlling from the grave. I'm, I, those are some of the discussions I'm starting to hear about. Great. Thank you very much for sharing that. Now, before we do wrap things up, is there anything I should have asked you, but I didn't? No, I think this has been very comprehensive. Uh, one, The only thing I would talk a little bit about, I have another colleague uh, who is also a member of Ed Slot's Elite IRA Advisor Group. I would just say that that's kind of a nifty little study group that I'm a part of. And I did not fully appreciate the details that, you know, individual retirement arrangements these IRAs have. So something that I think that uh, your listeners would benefit from, if nothing else, is to tune into their local public broadcasting station, check out some of the work by Ed Slot. It's something where it really helps advisors understand the multiple facets of retirement planning. And it goes back to your point, Sean, go see a specialist in this field because not everyone who works in financial services is a specialist. So make sure that you're working with someone who knows about asset preservation and the distribution of those assets to last, to last a lifetime. Well, Ashok, 
I really enjoyed our conversation today. I know I learned a lot and I know that the people that are listening definitely learned a lot because you are a very intelligent man and you have a lot to say that all is really great stuff. And before we get off, how can people find out more about you? Well, I'd say that I'm working on my website, which is www.topplanning.com. I hope to have that really up fairly soon. But I would say you're going to see a lot of uh, articles in this coming year, 2020, on annuity.com. And I write from time to time on, there's a publication called Retirement Daily through the street.com. And I'm going to be contributing some articles there as well, hopefully some other platforms. So I would say just tune in, tune in. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. And for those that are listening, we do this on a monthly basis. These shows are part of being a safe and sound lifestyle. It's what we always talk about. It's why my company is called Safe and Sound Retirement. But it's not just about retirement. It's everything from financial, like we talked about today, to health and fitness. Uh, we cover a little bit of self-defense because I'm a martial artist. And I'm even going to have people on. They're going to talk about relationships and different things of that nature as well. So tune in next week. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave. The content you hear on the Safe and Sound podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this broadcast or on our website constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Safe and Sound Retirement, Sean Sparkman, or any third party. Opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Safe and Sound Retirement. Before taking any actions based on the information you have heard on this podcast or read on our website, you are strongly urged to seek the advice of a qualified professional.